Hey, you guys were good at that. Well done. How's everybody doing this morning? Yay? Good? Thanks for having me back. Um, for those who had no choice in the matter, thanks for putting up with me again. Um, no, but seriously though, I, I was very happy when Aaron called because I love to come and help. And I don't think he gets that much of a break. Um, and so I'm glad he got to go um, and just be away for a little bit. And I think he told me last week they might actually be here t- this morning. And I was like, no, don't come. Like, don't you, even if you're in town, don't come. Just go like hang out somewhere. So, but then he's like, well, we might be paying it. We might be like tuning in. So if you're listening, Aaron, go ahead and just flip the channel to something else. Um, you were, we'll be here. We'll be fine. We'll be ready for you next week. I won't burn the place down. I promise as long as my pyrotechnics work well. Um, Jason's got me though, right? You were good? All right, cool. So welcome to everybody who's uh, streaming online. Thanks again for having me back as well. I'm still jealous of you guys that get to watch the service at home in your PJs with coffee. Um, of course, some of you guys might wear your PJs here, so I don't know if we might have done that. So um, my name is John Sorrell. Um, my wife has been really good friends with Renee, Aaron's wife, since like freshman year of Iowa State days. And, um, and so since we moved to Iowa about a year ago, I've kind of gotten to know Aaron during that time. And it's been a lot of fun um, just kind of getting to know. And so I really love what you guys are about. I love your guys' community. We live far enough away that it's really hard to get here on a Sunday morning, but I'm really thankful to come and just share with you. So um, here's what I love to do today is I want to dive into a passage in Paul. Um, so just kind of verses that kind of Paul says in his, um, in his book. I'll tell you a little bit about it in just a second. And then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take that as kind of a proverbial thought for maybe God's story. And so we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson, if you're okay to go with me there. Sound good? I pretty much brought the nerdiest lesson that I could today, and we'll just see what happens. Are you, are you good with that? Yeah? Getting some nods? Okay, very cool. So here we go. Um, we're going to read this like passage in Paul. So um, if you want to turn to your Bibles, it's in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 12. If not, no worries, it's going to be on the screen. But here's what I want to say first is, so Paul writes these two letters um, to the church at um, Corinth. And so we call them First and Second Corinthians. He actually wrote a couple more that we know about, but we just don't have those. And here's the deal. First Corinthians talks about all these church issues. So how to do church, how to organize church, what, like just how to do community. Second Corinthians all of a sudden gets way more personal. And so in Second Corinthians, what happens is he starts t- talking a lot more about how he is doing life as an apostle and how he is doing life as a leader. And he gets a little bit more raw. And this is what he says in chapter 12. And I'm going to start in verse five. It says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. So pause right there. What he's doing is he's talking about a friend of his that had this experience where he saw heaven and it was this amazing experience with God. And he's saying, but I don't boast about those experiences. I don't boast about all these amazing experiences I had. If you remember in chapter 11, what he's done is he's closed chapter 11 talking about all the bad things that's happened to him. So if you remember Paul talking about how he's like, how he's been shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and all these things, that comes at the end of chapter 11. And now he gets into chapter 12 and he has this fascinating statement, I will boast only about my weaknesses, which I don't think that's a popular thing to do. Like... I don't think that's what we normally do, do we? Like, that's not how we, that's not how we act, but I just want to see what he says about it. So if I wanted to boast, I would be, I would be no fool in doing so. This is verse six, because I would be, I'd be, I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. 
even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I'm just going to pause right there. We have no idea what the thorn in the flesh is. Um, people have thought about it. People have talked about it. There's tons of articles of people thinking what it is. Here's the idea that we get from it. It's probably something physical. So some people think that it was when he was blinded, when he met Jesus, and that maybe stayed with him and he had like a vision impairment. Otherwise, it could have been something that stayed with him after one of his like persecution things, or it could have just been something different. That, but here's what we do know is it bugs him. It gets in the way with, uh, of like him and God, right? That's kind of what we get the feeling here. So this is what he says next. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I, I just have to admit, I don't think that's a popular way to look at life. I don't think that's a way that you and I go about life normally. Um, I don't think our weaknesses is something that we usually like to spend time on. If more often than not, and you might not be like me, so like I, I understand if this isn't you, but more often than not, our weaknesses are something we like to avoid, cover up, or ignore, and we would like to much, much more operate in our strengths and where we feel suited and where we feel strong. Like those, that's way more comfortable, right? But Paul has this incredible statement where he says, in my weakness, God is made strong. And I wonder, I just have to, I just have to pretend for a second of, I wonder if what he's saying is something that's actually kind of a pro proverb in a sense for how God's story has been from the very beginning. Because here's the deal. Okay. <laughs> this is where I'm about to really become a dork, okay? I brought maps for you today. So, like, I, this, is, this is what got me all my dates in high school right here, things like this. And so, here's what I want to do is, if you're okay with me for just a minute, I'm going to talk through God's story. And I want to talk you through just how it happened. But here's the deal. I met a friend about, it's been almost 10 years now, I guess, and she did her PhD in the place and space of Deuteronomy. So her whole goal was to look at Israel and to see how the land kind of guided the story of God. And so she's brilliant. Her name is Cindy Parker. She has a podcast. She has a website called Narrative of Place. I think that's what it's called, Narrative of Place. And she's yeah, absolutely incredibly brilliant. Um, but she used to live in Israel, did a lot of tours. And instead of taking you on the normal stuff for the tours, she would take you to the top of a mountain and let you see the land. And then you would read a story together and say... How do you think this played out? Because the land tells you a story. How it, how, it, like, how it happens tells you a story. So here we go. I want to tell you this. I want to show you this picture. This is the Bible land as we know it. So pretty much everything that happens in the Old and New Testament happened on this map right here. There's only about two things that happened off, off it, probably a little bit more into Asia, but everything else is inside this place. So in the beginning of God's story, God calls this guy named Abram. Happens in Genesis 12. Abram gets this fascinating promise. And what, do, what God does is God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to make you into a huge nation. I'm going to give you the, prom the land. We call it the promised land. And three, you're going to bless the world because of who you become. So I'm going to show you Abram's story real quick. Here we go. So Abram 
lived in the bottom right corner. I'm actually probably getting in the way of the map. Um, in the bottom right corner where it says Babylonia, there's this place called Ur. It's hard to see on this map, but that's where he started. God called Abram out of Ur. And then this is actually the blue line that you see is his travel all the way to where God told him to go. So he went up kind of this way. And then what we call this, the, the really nerdy term, is this is called the Fertile Crescent. Okay, because walking from Ur straight to where Jerusalem would be today, you pretty much die in the desert. Okay, so this was the way to do it, and you actually stayed in civilization. To give you an idea of where we're at, where it says the Hittite Empire or, um, or Assyria, that's ancient Mesopotamia. That's also referred to as the, like, it's basically the birthplace of humanity or the birthplace of civilization. So that's how far this goes back. So Abraham goes from Ur all the way up the Fertile Crescent back down to modern-day Jerusalem. He gets there, and not too long after he gets there, he has to move out because there's a famine in the land. So he has to go to Egypt. He spends some time in Egypt, comes back, and here's what we know about Abraham. We knew that he had some kind of wealth because he wasn't just traveling by himself, his wife and his kids. It was a huge caravan that he took, and when he got to the Promised Land, they saw it being so big that his nephew Lot and him decided one would go one way and one would go the other and just start their settlement. So we know that they had some kind of wagon train. Think Oregon Trail, right? You may have played that game? Yeah, where somebody dies of dysentery every time. Okay, yeah. So, so basically this is what happens. Abraham looks at Lot and says, you choose one way or the other, right or left, and I'll take the other one. And Lot says, I'm going to go left because I like that better. And Abraham goes right and they start their settlements. Okay, further on, let's see. Can we go hit that next I want to zoom in a little bit. Um, this is basic. Oh, no, that's okay. Go back. Perfect. Right there. So I want to fast forward. So Abraham sets up. We know Abraham basically it becomes a nation. They end up in Egypt and slavery. We hit the book of Exodus. If you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, they get rescued out of Exodus. Now they're starting to head toward the promised land. Now this is David's story. So the blue line is if you know David's story, he was on the run for a long time. I just want to zoom in and show you the small area that David was on the run in, okay? The left side is the Mediterranean Sea. The right, although the sea in the middle is the Dead Sea. And this was David running from Saul. He didn't actually go very far. You could actually drive all this in about an hour and a half, no problem. Like, it's not very far. It's very, very close. And here's the deal. If you look at Jerusalem, like when it was talked about when David was king, the old Jerusalem is not very big. It's like 120 acres, it's not a big place that, like, it wasn't this big kingdom city. It was up in the mountain, and it was a small kind of city. A lot of scholars would call David kind of a shepherd king because it wasn't this massive space, okay? So here's what I want to tell you. I'm getting to a point, I promise. This isn't just a history lesson. You ready? Let's go to the next place. Next map goes back to the Bible lands, and then I'm going to add a square for you because I want to show you where most of the Israelite story takes place. That's where Israel became a nation. So if you remember, Egypt comes out of, or sorry, Israel comes out of Egypt. They're at the, at the base of Mount Sinai, God, God adopts them as a people group. And then they head into the promised land about 42, 43 years later. Well, they get there. Well, most of the Old Testament then takes place right here in this space. But here's what's interesting, is the space that they inhabited, it wasn't as great as we think it would have been. Because actually, the kingdoms to the north and the kingdoms to the south we're actually in better spaces. You know why? Let's add, let me add a couple of arrows here. Oh, sorry. This is, this is in the, um, basically, if you think like 700 BC, so like when David was king, 
these are the two big kingdoms. This is Babylonia, and this is Egypt. And so they, they're the ones who ruled the area more than anybody. And then, of course, if you get to Jesus' time, who's in charge then? This is like Bible trivia. You ready? Who's in charge when, like, who's in charge? Rome. Yeah, Romans have take, like, taken over, and so they own the whole area. Here's the deal. I wonder, I just have a question with how God placed Israel, if there's something we can learn from it. So here, I want to show you this. So we're going to add a couple arrows. Do you know what was up there? Do you know the, have you ever heard of the Tigris and the Euphrates? The rivers, right? Here's the, here's the interesting thing about rivers. Do you know what rivers do to a people group? What's that? They bring people together. They bring life, but rivers bring people together. Because you can live up the river, and I can live down the river, and guess what? We can trade really easily. Because we can use the river to take goods back and forth. We can trade language, we can trade culture. And then after we start doing that for a little while, and maybe we make some money together, we can say, hey, what if you and I start a security force? And then let's add the other guy that's down here on this river, and let's add that guy up there on that river, and guess what? Before long, guess what? We have an army. And now we can continue making wealth, and we we continue bringing in money. So up to the north, was the Euphrates and Tigris. And then down to the south was this one, the Nile. And so here's the interesting thing, is that God placed Israel right in the middle of those two areas. Guess what there wasn't in in this area of Israel? There wasn't a lot of rivers. They actually had this thing called the Dead Sea. It's not very exciting to live there, right? Because everything was... (laughs) You You know what Israel had? Israel had mountains. It was incredibly mountain, mountainous. I said mountainy before. I don't think that's a word. Mountainous. Guess what mountains do? Mountains separate people. I can be on one side of the mountain. You can be on the other side of the mountain. And we could speak different languages. And because it's such an arduous journey, we might not talk. We might not hang out. We might not share culture. We might not try to build wealth. We might try to get bigger. I'm just going to stay on my side of the mountain. You stay on your side and we'll be okay just as long as somebody from the you know, flatlands don't come up and kill us, right? And so as long as we do that, but what they do is they actually separate. And think about God's story. God puts Israel in the mountains and then what happens? All of a sudden before long, they want a king because everybody else has kings and they see Babylon have kings and they see Assyria have kings and they see Egypt have kings. Like, oh, we want a king. So like they get a king. And then before long, guess what happens? They have two kingdoms, not just one, right? Because now we're focused on specific areas. You take the north side, we'll take the south. And then not too long, Babylon comes in and invades them and takes them over and takes them out because the thing is, is they were never in a place to rally. They were never in a place because the land didn't let them do that. And I just have to ask the question, I wonder if there's a part of God that was putting his people in a space where they were always going to have to rely on him where they weren't gonna, he wasn't going to put them in a place where the land just gave them what they need and they could just get bigger and stronger because guess what happens with power? We get big heads, right? We, we, we get a little excited and we say, oh, I don't need God anymore, right? I mean, if we're honest, and maybe, maybe this is just me being honest, but if I'm honest, the stronger I get, the smarter I get, I usually spend more time thinking of how to do life without God versus with Him. Not purposefully. I don't, think I, I don't think that's a purposeful thought of like, God, I don't need you today. But when we stand in our strengths, we kind of forget that we need a God. We kind of forget that we're in need. And I just have to wonder if the way God set his story in motion and put his people in a land wasn't telling this 
huge story of guess what? You're always going to need me and that's okay. Because the more you need me, the more I get to be your God. And I, I would say we want more God. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want more God to work more in your life today than he did last week? Yay, nay. Maybe not. <laughs> you might say no, I'm okay with that answer. But I would say we're all here because we want to see more God. But then the way we do life typically points to, guess what? We want to be strong. We want to be the ones that have the answers. We want to be the ones that have security. We want to be the ones that do all that. And then guess where it leaves God? We only need him when, we, when it's convenient. We only need him when, when we have to need him. And I just wonder for a second, I wonder if we took Paul's words to heart and we started acknowledging our weaknesses in a way that said, God, today I need you because I'm not as strong as I see myself being. I'm not as wise as I see myself being. I actually need you today. And we came with kind of Paul's mindset where we looked at God and we said, God, I actually, I actually need you here in this space. I actually need need you to meet me in this space today. I wonder what would change. I wonder how life would change if we acknowledged our weaknesses instead of, again, I'll speak on my behalf, instead of ignoring them or covering them up or trying to avoid them, if I came to God with my weaknesses and said, God, today I'm going to enter in and I'm going to probably do a lot of weird stuff because I have a lot of weakness. Not as strong as I think, not as wise as I think, but I know you are. And I know you also have this open invitation for you to work in my life at any time. You've often said, you know, if I draw near to you, you're going to draw near to me. And so, God, I need you in a whole lot of parts of my life today. And so would you work? I wonder what that would change. I wonder if we would begin to see God move more than if we kind of forget about God because we don't really need him. I know I use the word weakness, and I think sometimes that raises the... Um, that raises the whole like idea of the job interview type of weaknesses, right? Um, like, what is your weakness? I, you know, I care too much for people, or whatever. I mean, whatever we say in job interviews. And I wonder if I wonder if maybe another word there, if we can think. And here's my here's my goal in this. I know I'm not going to solve this. I just, I really want to raise up a conversation. So my goal in this is at lunch today or sometime during the week. Maybe it's a conversation that you have with close friends and family, but. I wonder, one, if we were to start thinking about our weaknesses, but maybe another question to ask is, what are the things that we're afraid of? Because I think the fears that we carry, and I'm, and I'm not talking about like lions and tigers and snakes and spiders type fears, okay? Um, those, are, those are appropriate, I get it. I'm, I'm scared to death of spiders, okay? But, but I'm talking more of those fears that are internal, those fears that we walk with, that usually guide life more than we would like to acknowledge, right? I wonder if we started acknowledging those in a way that said, Okay, God, I'm scared to death of this. I'm scared to death of where the next meal is going to come from or where the next car payment is going to come. I'm scared to death of whatever it is. God, I need you to meet me in that space. I need you to meet me in the space of I'm not sure what's going to happen. I wonder if we would see God move more. I wonder if we would see God move more in our hearts, in our lives, in our families. I wonder if we would hear God's voice more. Because I think based on my experience, we tend to avoid these spaces more than not. And what God is saying is God is inviting us 
into the space where we're actually kind of open and real with him, even though usually we don't like that. Let me give you one idea, if it's okay. Um, Israel, Israel saw the mountains not as something that separated them. I just think the land does that. But Israel saw the mountains as their protector. And so when, whenever Israel united, they had three major festivals a year where everybody would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And on the way to Jerusalem, they, were, they would sing these songs about God. And one of them we have, it's in Psalm 121. Well, we have like 10 of them. But one of them is in Psalm 121 that I love. And, and it's amazing because as they're walking to Jerusalem, they would be reminded of these mountains all around us or all around them as they're walking. And they would start singing and they would sing this. This is the song that it was. Um, I'm not going to sing it for you. Sorry, my singing makes baby Jesus cry. So, um, but it says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber or sleep. Indeed, he watches over Israel, never slumbers or sleeps. And what, he, what they would do is they would let the mountains remind them that guess what? Since they're in the mountains, the chariots from the flatlands can't get to them. The horses from down in the coastal areas can't get to them. And so they would sing this praise of God, where you put us actually protects us. And just as a thought into this next week, maybe as you start considering your weakness or considering your fear and maybe what it would look like to take those to God, I wonder what it would look like also to remind you that maybe in a simple action, God is right there with you. Because again, I think it's easy to forget that God's with us outside of like Sundays and Bible studies, right? But for God, light was this reminder that God was present with us. And so I wonder what it would look like if even flicking on the light was this reminder that God, your presence is here and so I need you in this moment. If even like, turning on a light in the morning or even the sun coming up in the morning was a reminder that God you're here and you're in this space and so as I go throughout today I want to be in a space where I actually want to need you today so I'm going to work on inviting you in throughout the day and if that served just a simple action I know it's not walking through the mountains and the beauty because Iowa doesn't have those from what I found so far um, but we have lights and we have this reminder that God wants to be present with us we have this little reminder, Jesus says very clearly, I am the light of the world. Maybe that's a different message for a different day of why he said that, when he said it, which is a fascinating idea. But it was this reminder that every time you see a light, that God's presence is right there with you. And so here's my challenge, and here's my thought for you today, is I wonder if sometime this week you sat with someone and said, hey, what, is, what are the weaknesses that we live in? What are the fears that we carry? And what would it look like to invite God more into those spaces? Maybe into those spaces in our hearts that we like to subside and push away and hide a little bit more than we do. I wonder what it would look like if God moved more in those spaces than I'm letting him do right now. Can I pray for us?